Welcome back to Never Have I Ever Hosted a Podcast. I'm Danny, And I'm Clara. And today we will be discussing the fifth episode titled Never Have I Ever Started a Nuclear War. And we have a special guest joining us today, Alex Skinner, who plays Dudley on the Model UN, uh, the Model UN team. He's the chair of the Security Council, I believe, right? That is correct. I don't have my gavel today, but that's, <laughs> that's right. Well, we welcome you anyway, Alex, <laughs> gavel or no. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having um, me. Uh, and uh, before we get too far into the episode, let's let Eleanor and Fabiola shed some light on it. You're so lucky. You have a perfect family. We are not perfect. Yeah, you are. It's not like you have a huge lie threatening to tear everyone apart. Actually, I do. Oh, my God. Do they not know you switched to AP Latin? They don't know that I'm gay. What? I'm gay. I'm sorry that I didn't tell you sooner. I honestly just realized. Don't you dare apologize to me. Really? I love this for you. And I love this for me. Finally, a gay friend. It really fits my brand as a theater wench. So great to say. I feel like I just solved an escape room I've been trapped in my entire life. So, Claire, what did you think of this episode? I love this episode. I mean, you know, I've been talking since we started about how much I like um, Fabiola's arc and the sort of gradual coming out story that she has. And this is the first time that we get to see her come out to a person, which I really love. I love getting to see that. Eleanor's arc is also really interesting. I had forgotten, I, for some reason I thought like Eleanor's arc happened a little bit later in the season and then when I went back and I watched it and I saw that all of these things are happening in the same time, it was just kind of wild. I was just rewatching it and seeing that transition at the very end where she does her audition and like the pain from all of the experiences she has around her mom coming back, translating into her suddenly like making this breakthrough as an actor. That was really yeah. cool. And of course, like all the Model UN stuff is crazy. It kind of reminded me, we recently saw the Model UN episode of Community again. We were like doing a Community rewatch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, keep, I keep like mixing parts of them because they're both so wild. <laughs> <laughs> Model UN seems wild. Just like I've never known I don't what think it is. it is. I don't think it's normally as wild as it's portrayed on TV. It could be. It could be like that whole like band camp situation, which band camp actually is really crazy. <laughs> Alex, did you do Model UN in school? I did not do Model UN. I had I knew some people who did Model, model UN, but they didn't really talk about what happens. So uh, I was going in blind a little bit. But I mean, you know, you get a bunch of people in a room debating stuff. It, it's bound to get fairly tense i assume so <laughs> that's true so danny about what what about you what did you think of the episode i'm starting to sound like a like a broken record here but this is probably one of my favorite <laughs> episodes for for so many reasons this I is why we're not episodes. doing ratings because this was yeah. happen every single time <laughs> exactly um for one this episode is where fabiola comes out to an actual human as you said her best friend eleanor and i really just like love their friendship so much and 
this is also obviously the Model UN trip episode, which is, I feel like, is a big turning point for people deciding if they shipped Benvy or not. And it Which, also, of course, matters to you. Yes. <laughs> and it also shows that uh, Debbie kind of seems like the queen of saying shit that she doesn't mean when she's really upset. Oh, yeah, for sure. Alex, what are your thoughts on the episode? Um, well, it's, it's interesting because I first obviously approached the episode when I got the script. Um, mm-hmm for for it before we shot it and you know i didn't know what was going on with most of the characters at this point because i had no information yeah but um i thought it was just really really funny um getting to see just how the the story plays out in this episode without even knowing who the characters were at this point um i think there's just little things that i thought were hilarious i think even the way Fabiola, Fabiola tries to come out to her parents and yeah. she doesn't do it, but like they still, you still see that judgmental, um, how opinionated they are, um, come out. Yeah. And I think that was funny to know that like when they, she does finally come out to them, like, how's that going to look? But obviously all the Molly UN stuff is just great. You know, it, it's just kind of like some, you know, your, your high school hijinks on a field trip. And it's just kind of fun to see them play around with all these different scenarios and having, um, you know, Russia, who's uh, played by Atticus, to just kind of come in and like create some chaos was just, it's just so much fun to watch. Well, and I feel like the cool thing about the like model UN conceit is you have a bunch of people who you don't normally have. And I think on our previous podcast, we had somebody on who like started as a guest and then became a recurring character. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said was like, when you're a guest, you really kind of, especially in a comedic role, you really have to be kind of a ringer. And so this ends up being, I think, one of the funniest episodes in part because there's so many ringers, right? Like there's so many guests who come in and are just like bringing all this personality um, Mm -hmm. into life in that Mala UN space. Yeah, Yeah. it's always interesting to step into because you you want to feel like you fit into what they've already established, even though you're not in the other episodes. So yeah, and I think you always want the other character you always want it to like serve the story in a way that feels organic and you you want it to serve also the comedy that's written there so you know a lot of the 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 model you in scenes are 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 davy and and then kind of going at it and they're just sort of throwing out these crazy things and you're, you're as, as a spectator you're kind of just sitting there like what's going on but you know for my character you kind of have to rein it in a little bit and it's just like not happening like you really can't bring in people who are just throwing paper at each other and just like threatening to nuke other countries like you really have lost control at that point i I think mr shapiro can relate (laughs) definitely um well we'll we'll get into the weeds in a little bit but first off because the name of the show demands it we're going to start with a round of never have i ever all right. So our version's a little bit different. There's no losers. We're not going to, like, hold up our hands or whatever. Basically, everyone just answer every question with I have or I've never. And if you're listening and you want to tally up the scores, like, go ahead. We're not going to stop you. All right. All right. So, Danny, I think you have the first prompt. Yes. Never have I ever gotten a tattoo. I've never. Really? Well... I have. I have my magician's tattoo, which is um, I, the author of the magician's books. I asked him to draw a plant that is in the series, and he drew it, and so I have that on my ankle. It's a very personal tattoo to her. Yes. <laughs> and I talk about it all the time. 
<laughs> well, I have, obviously. I have three tattoos. I have the four elements, um, but like avatar style down my back. Um, a typewriter with paper coming out that says, we are infinite from Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. And then I have Just Keep Swimming with a semicolon. Um, I also technically have a stick and poke that refuses to go away, um, but it's a crooked Kingdom Hearts crown that I really need to get covered up. All right, next prompt. Never have I ever stood someone up on a date. I have never. I've never either. I don't think I have either. Yeah. I think this is like a rude thing to do. Like you got to find a way out way before you get to a face to face. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've actually been on some really bad dates that I didn't want to go on because I didn't want to stand somebody up. <laughs> yeah, so have I. <laughs> All right. So the next one is never have I ever ghosted someone. I also have never. I feel like I've just... I, I always win this game, which I feel like you're not supposed to win this game, but <laughs> I'm fairly tame when it comes to dares and things. I haven't ghosted somebody, but my husband insists that I... Okay, so we, we have, like, disagreement about this, but he says... So I, I didn't call him back for a while. He says he called me right after our first date. I did not get that message for several weeks. <laughs> So I don't feel like I ghosted him. I mean, obviously we're married, so I think that sort of goes against it. But, (laughs) you know, he feels like I left him hanging for a while. I definitely have it. I don't really have any, like, funny stories about it, but I have before. (laughs) Um, Never have I ever broken up with somebody not in person. I have never. I haven't technically... Um, I took some space from an ex once and basically like told him via text that it wasn't going to happen and we wouldn't be getting back together. But it was mostly because he was not being very chill about things and I didn't want to see him in person. So I'm not sure if it counts. I definitely have. I was in some long distance relationships in college. I went to like a woman's college and I was in some relationships with guys who were not in my city. So I've broken up with people over the phone, but it was like at least a phone call. You're nicer than that. I am. I respect that. <laughs> Some of them didn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Never have I ever stalked an ex's new partner's sh- social media. Um, I have never, but I can, I mean, I, I might have Facebook stalked like people I was interested in when they like got in new relationships to like see who the person is. I can, I can own up to that. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have. Um, probably like mildly. I have. I mean, like, I feel like everyone kind of has to like some extent. Just like, so you think we're liars? <laughs> no, like either like cr- like creeped on like you know your ex's page to see like who it was. Like, I feel like in some way everyone kind of has. But yeah, I definitely have. But I'm always that person that's just like you know I'm gonna Facebook check this person right now. <laughs> Never have I ever gone out with a fan ex's friend. I have never. I told you, I'm not. I'm, you should just give me the trophy now because. <laughs> I kind of have. We never defined the relationship, but it was definitely like meant something to me and I felt bad. So it probably counts. Do you remember that like people would call that the DTR? Yeah. <laughs> define like the relationship. Such... Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I definitely have. My friend group in high school was so incestuous. I feel like everyone dated everyone else. Um, so that's definitely happened. Never have I ever gotten sick on a friend. Like thrown up, you mean? Yeah, like thrown up. Um, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I mean, I've probably thrown up in the vicinity of people, but not on people. I can count how many times I've thrown up in my life on one hand. So That's no. insane. <laughs> well, I'm a mitophobic, so <laughs> I try really hard not to. It's, like, it's a strong stomach. <laughs> I never have on somebody, but I have in their car. So I feel like it's just as bad. Mm -hmm. Probably worse, actually. Yeah, because that's harder to clean up. If you barf on, if you barf on a friend, they could just hop in a shower. If you barf in their car, got to reupholster that sucker. Yep, <laughs> it's never coming out. Um, never have I ever gone on a blind date. I have never. I have not either. So I sort of did. I don't know that I would call it like fully a blind date, but I have been on a setup with somebody who I didn't know well. I feel like that'd be fun. Like I wouldn't have been opposed to to doing that, but yeah, it was fun. We're still friends. We went on like two dates, and I think we were just like way too different, but um, very good friend category. That reminds me of like I went to prom with someone that I barely knew that was like really good friends with my best friend because she just really wanted me to go to her prom. And so she was just like, hey, you should go with my friend Billy. Like, you'd, you'd be, yeah, you'd really hit it off. And we, like, I think I'd met him, like, twice. And then we went to prom. But we're, like, still really good friends. So it's very similar. I feel like that's the way to do it. Never have I ever walked in on my parents doing something I didn't want to see. I definitely have not. Either <laughs> that or not. you've repressed it very severely. <laughs> no, my, my, parents, my parents actually divorced when I was young. So that wasn't um, really uh, an issue for me. And... I guess that's the one positive takeaway from your parents divorcing early. Yeah. But. My parents divorced when I was five as well, but I will say my dad used to hang around in just his underwear in the apartment. So that's almost as traumatizing. I have, uh, we, we don't talk about it though. Yeah, but my parents also story. divorced when I was really young. <laughs> oh no. It's your question. So yeah, you, you can't say you don't talk about it and then force us to talk about our trauma. Oh, called out. <laughs> I mean, I, I've talked about plenty of my traumas, but that one, I, I don't think we should go into detail about that one. That's fine with me. <laughs> uh, never have I ever had a friend with benefits. I've never. I have, but it, it never works out. I don't no. suggest it. I've done it, but like you become something other than friends, whichever way it goes. Mm -hmm. Never have I ever drunk dialed or texted an ex. No, I, I, I haven't. I'm very good about the way I compose myself, apparently. Apparently. I've never drunk dialed or texted an ex, but I do have a penchant for, like, if I'm up past 11 p.m., I cannot be on email or I will do something I regret. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, if you haven't done this, which apparently you haven't, respect, because... <laughs> I actively make my friends take away my phone when I'm out. Like, I'm just like, just, just take it away. You just put Don't it on those, like, it. security bags like when you go to concerts <laughs> and things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, never have I ever been with someone five years younger than me. Never. It's always kind of, it's always been, it's like slightly younger. I haven't. Just shy of it, but I haven't. Me neither. I was like thinking back. I've been with somebody 
four or five years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking back and I was like, oh, like, when I was in college, I dated somebody younger. I almost always dated people older than me. And then I was like actually doing the math and I was like, oh, he was two years younger. That's not, <laughs> that's not that much. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was doing. I was like, I know that I dated someone like really young, like semi-recently. And then I did the math and I was like, oh, it's only four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes our, our never have I ever. I think you're right. I think you won, even though there are no winners or losers here. Yeah. Whoever's keeping tally was just like a big fat zero under my column. <laughs> So, sorry, it wasn't more interesting. That's okay. We'll, we'll get some good stories from you in the interview portion. Um, and just to start, we really love audition stories. So we're curious to hear, like, what was your audition for Never Have I Ever Like? And how, like, what was the description of Dudley that you got? Oh, wow. I can probably pull it up, actually, and find it for you. Awesome. I, I remember, you know, you get the the audition and it, it just says, unti- at that point, it was untitled. Yeah, it was like Mindy Langfisher Project. And, you know, it's like you see Mindy Kaling's name and you go, okay, well, this is going to be something. You see Netflix and you go, okay, well, this is probably going to be something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you just got excited. I am having trouble typing because I'm <laughs> trying to talk at the same time. And I remember, yeah, just being like really excited because I, you know, like most people, they're huge fans of The Office. So I've obviously like known about Mindy for such a long time to like be able to be on something that she has any involvement with was just like amazing to me. The description of Dudley is a nerdy college student at the conference, which is like not a whole lot to go on, but mm-hmm. I was like, well, I know I'm nerdy. And like, I, I, like at a Molly Ewing conference, like I have an idea of what, kind of nerd that would take <laughs> but then yeah then you just go in I, I just went into the audition and we did both scenes done that I'm in and you it's hard because like you're trying to place everything like as an actor you're always trying to like create the room uh, in yeah. your head and, and you have to create mm-hmm. the room like in the audition room and so you know you're trying to play all the different levels and I feel like it was just like a nice easy um audition um it was it was just like I don't know. I think it's hard sometimes you like want, you, you feel like you're going to be nervous. You're always trying to like fight off the nerves because you want to obviously book the role, but it, it was a nice, like calm audition for me. And when I feel like I'm not stressed or like shaking or nervous, then I feel like I always have like a, a, a good shot at getting it. So I was very, very happy to get the call that I booked yeah. it because, you know, I want to be a part of something like this and it's obviously speaks for itself. Well, and clearly you were right. I'm going to go out on a limb here based on our Never Have I Ever session and say that you also seem like a bit of a nerd. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like you identify with Dudley? Uh, I do. I mean, I think in like in, when I was in high school, I I did like, you know, National Honor Society. I was I played alto saxophone. I was the I was the, the vice president of our National Honor Society and I was the president of our high school band when I was a senior. So, you know, I, I definitely don't think those were on the jock short lists. Um, <laughs> so I definitely felt like, yeah, I mean, Dudley could have easily been me growing up. Um, but I think just in general, I play like nerdier intellectual characters um, just in general. So um, whenever I see the nerd, I, I it's no longer like something I'm offended by. I just like, <laughs> yep, I'm going to own it. This is me. I'm going to do this. And then 
see where it takes me. We're all nerds here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so o- overall, like, what was high school like for you? Not necessarily like, kind of like your personality, but like, is it anything like what we see in the show? Like, It's not. I grew up in Arizona in the suburbs and I have a twin brother. And oh, wow. yeah, so it's it's interesting because like we didn't even do the same things. You know, I was, I was like, we played, I mean, we, we did play, we did do one thing. We both played tennis, but you know, I was, I was in band and I did National Honor Society and, you know, I did all these AP classes and, you know, so did he, but he, he was like, you know, in the weight room and he was playing, uh, he played tennis and he was playing some other sports. And I feel like we kind of had separate experiences, but it was nothing like what I imagined high school was supposed to be when you watch television and, and you kind of think that like, oh, everyone's going to get bullied. And like, you know, we, we didn't even have like the locker. We had lockers, but like no one used their lockers because they're all outside because it's Arizona. So we didn't really have like the whole indoor thing. So for me, it kind of just like going to school, like just like it was in middle school and elementary school, because a lot of the friends that I had made growing up were at high school with me. So it didn't feel like a very challenging, unsure time for me. It was sort of like, I guess we're just doing school again. So I'm sure someone has made this joke to you before, but if you had a twin brother and you both played tennis, did you play doubles? <laughs> he was better than me, and I hate to admit that on on record, but <laughs> he, he was better than me. So the way the ranking matched up, I didn't get to play doubles with him. But we would play doubles, you know, on our free time. But just I'm not gonna I'm gonna tell him to skip over this section so he doesn't. Have to <laughs> All right. Well, we'll give you the timestamp later. Okay. <laughs> so, obviously, the model UN scenes in this episode are pretty intense. Um, what were they like to shoot? Was it fun? Was it weird? Describe that experience. It was. It was really, really fun because the energy was just, you know, like when you when you do a scene where you know there's like lots of jokes and a little bit of, lots of chaos. Like I feel like everyone kind of just leans into it and they have fun with it. And it felt like when we were doing, particularly the second scene, you know, where all the, the chaos breaks out. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's trying to like hold it in and like just be present. And then <laughs> once, once David takes the gloves off, it's kind of, everyone's kind <laughs> of just like, everyone's looking at each other, like, oh, what are we supposed to, are we supposed to like join in? Are we supposed to cheer her on? And um, what was really fun is, is um, Atticus Schaefer, who plays Russia, you know, they, he's, because he's Russia, he, he kind of feel like he's trying to like instigate things a little bit more. And they, they, <laughs> exactly. And they, they cut, I think they cut some of, some of the stuff he shot, but like he really goes manic at the end with the, the, the table pounding and it's, it, it felt so manipulative and it was, it was like, I don't even know how to put it into words, but it was, he was just like so frantic. You can tell it's funny because of you know, his stature and the way they kind of zoomed in on him at the moment. But it's just so funny to see him kind of like pulling the strings a little bit and like egging all the other security council members on to like create the chaos. It was just so fun to watch him work too. (laughs) I feel like you're going to hate me for saying this, Danny. Um, But there was definitely the moment when like he gets Ben and Davey together (laughs) like by the ice machine in the hotel. I I had this brief moment of Mm -hmm. like, you know, he and Davey could kind of work together because they're both really manipulative people (laughs) 
Or they not they'd work together, but they belong together in that moment. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I could definitely do some scheming. <laughs> Alright. So the next question is how did you get into acting and what do you think your dream role would be? Well, I got into acting multiple ways. I always I think I've always wanted to be an actor when I was young. You know, I did I did like a play when I was in kindergarten, like, you know, you do your kindergarten play. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to be the narrator because he has the most lines and I'm going to get to like do the most out of everyone in the class. Um, and then, you know, you, I kind of did stuff like drama, drama club and being in plays. And it was one of those things where you kind of feel like for me growing up, it was like, I don't know if I could be a professional actor in the sense that like, I don't live in California. Like I have no idea mm-hmm. how to, how to like even get started. They always wanted to do it. And so I came, when I did graduate high school, when I came to California to go to school, I was a music major. So I was like, well, I still don't know how to do the acting thing. Like I'm not a theater major. And I didn't like do the whole prep to like come out here and audition to get into the program. I just like, didn't know what, what to do. But I, but I wanted to be a part of the entertainment side of things. So I was like, yeah. well, I'll get into screenwriting. I'll do, I did improv in college, you know, I did television production. So I knew how to film and produce, you know, videos and things. So I was like, I'll just, I'll just do like everything like around acting as well. So that way, if I ever decide like, I'm really going to like go for it, then I'll have a better idea of how to do it. And so after I graduated, I was like, well, YouTube was like just starting to like really get big. And I was doing some sketches with my friends and I'm just well I guess I'll just go for it I don't really know how this works I'm going to figure it out as I go and you know you it's a lot of trial and error <laughs> and then, like you're auditioning for things and you like don't know how to audition you don't know how like you're supposed to cut your like headshot the right size to fit your resume you're sort of like out there figuring it out and that journey is like the most interesting part for me but and you start to book some things here and there. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm kind of, you kind of get like break into a rhythm and then like it's quiet for a long time. And it's like, okay, I guess not. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just like a lot of trial and error and figuring out how to be an actor is the most interesting part. But once, once you get into things like this and you realize like, oh, this is like, I'm having the opportunity to work with people that, you know, I've never thought I'd be able to work with is always the most rewarding part other than like creating a character that people love what was it like working with mindy and lang well actually mindy lang weren't weren't there the day i shot chris the one of the writers chris was there and director um kabir was there i I actually worked on crazy ex-girlfriend like i think the year before or just like oh wait wait who were you on Crazy X? I just rewatched that too. I was I was um, one of the Abracadabros when oh. in the high school reunion episode. I'm gonna go back and watch your episode. So I was yeah I was I was Alden, <laughs> but because because yeah he was he's obviously involved on that show so it was kind of fun to be able to like transition from like one show that he'd done and then to be directed by him on that on on this series was is cool but. It's interesting because like I got to meet my Trey and you know, she's obviously had had a life changing experience by being cast in the show. And so <clears throat> for me, it's like, oh, I wonder how she's handling, you know, like being the star of a show. And it's, it's funny cause she's just like, 
you know, a, she's just like a normal person, normal kid who's just like figuring it out and like being on set and having everyone kind of focus on you. I think she didn't seem like she was cha- faced by any of that. She was just trying to do her job and like, have fun. And I think that's really great for someone who is at her age stepping into this industry to be able to just like approach things that way. I kind of wonder how she's handling all the social media attention now. Yeah. Because that's like a huge, she has like over a million followers on Instagram or something like that. Some like crazy amount. I got anxious when my number of followers on Twitter went over 500. I can't imagine (laughs) dealing with that level. (laughs) Yeah. And she's been in lockdown. So she hasn't even stepped outside really into the world of like being Uh, a public figure. So it's a lot for her, I'm sure. But I imagine there's a lot of people around her that are helping her navigate it. Yeah, definitely. The follow-up, the, the other question was, uh, what do you think your dream role would be? Right. Um, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I feel like I would love to be on just like a well-respected like sitcom, like, a, like one of those, like an HBO premium type sitcom where, you know, like I love Veep. Veep is one of my favorite shows. Like a show like that where it's just like biting satire and comedy and you just get to have like a fun, fun role in that. You know what I could see you on that I've seen recently? I think you'd be great on The Great, the like Hulu show. Oh, yeah. That show is amazing. And I feel like you would fit right into that environment. Well, if anyone from The Great is listening, you can uh, you can contact me and turn me in. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. You have to watch it. Well, this is this is a little bit off topic, but I've been saying that I want to write a TV adaptation of The Secret History for years. It's a book by Donna Tartt. Very famous book. If you haven't read it, it's great. But, like, I think that you have, like, the exact face of who I picture when I would change Henry, who's one of the main characters. Wait, wait do you know the book? I don't, I, don't, I don't know the book. I haven't read it. So Okay. I'll, so Henry's I'll a sociopath. Research. I just feel like you should know that. <laughs> I said the face, not the personality. Tell me more. You should also know you. that she thinks I'm like Henry. <laughs> <laughs> the joke was that you're like Henry and I'm like yeah, Richard. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and who's Bunny? Like in real life? <laughs> I don't know. We don't have to answer that. I feel like that, I should be hitting Wikipedia right now. <laughs> it's a really good book. It's like, so it's... I think it's something like the 70s in New England. It's late, late 80s, almost 90s. Oh, really? Okay. It's, yeah, so it's set 80s, 90s in New England, and it's this, like, these kids from this classics department at some college. Some bougie private college. Yeah, so, like, most of them are super privileged. Richard is not. There's, like, a whole scene where he's, like, freezing over winter because he doesn't go home and he gets someplace that doesn't have heat. But anyway, they have like a bacchanal and there is debauchery and eventually murder. <laughs> so it tells you about the murder, like literally like yeah. the first yeah, yeah. page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a spoiler at all. <laughs> they're, they're very into, um, to, to Greek mythology. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a really it's, good book. I highly recommend it. Well, um, I like I can Greek mythology. We can agree on, on one aspect <laughs> of the character. Well, like I've been saying, I want to adapt it because like in the book, it is just like a bunch of white kids. So like if I was going to like remake it, I would 
make it diverse. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of queer subtext in it, and I would make it way less subtext. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the interesting things about being on Never Have I Ever. Obviously, the representation was is so prevalent, but I didn't realize that until after like it had started airing. Like I, I wasn't mm-hmm. consciously thinking about, oh, I wonder if like, you know, the, the casting is going to be diverse or like, you know, people who behind the camera are involved. But like, I think that was what made being on set so much more enjoyable because I like, it just like, I, it was just there and I didn't like have to think about it. And, you know, having Kabir direct and having my trainee lead and, and, and then even having myself be there, it's just like, Oh yeah, like sometimes you forget, like you know, you're in an environment where like this is just normal. And I think when I watched it, I was like, oh wow, there's a lot, there's a lot of diversity in here, and it's not like token; it's just like normal. And there's lots of different layers to the characters, and it was like a welcome surprise for me to watch the series when it when it aired, and realize that afterward. There's definitely something kind of wild about like environments where like the kind of hierarchical bullshit gets turned on its head. Cause like I went to a women's college and I remember just how weird it felt when I left and suddenly like women were not in all of the leadership roles <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people did not use she as their default pronoun <laughs> for uh, everything. It was just like, it's all those little weird things that you start to take for granted when you finally get into an environment like that. Mm-hmm. So I think the next question is a hard left turn. Uh, We just wanted to do some fun questions at the end. So we asked this of Dylan, and we answered it last time, so we'll we'll just leave it to you. What song was your high school anthem, like personal anthem in high school? Or just a song you listen to a lot. (laughs) Wow. Um, I feel like it's going to be kind of random. I don't even know if this was – I don't know if this is accurate, but I'm trying to think if – I feel like this was – um, I listened. I listened to um, probably "Shake Your Tail Feather" hmm. by Nelly, <laughs> and was it Murphy Lee? I, for some, I, for some reason, that song was just like a bop, like back then. Like it just was <laughs> like I need. It just got like got me pumped up. I mean, we we would play like things in band, you know, for the football games. You'd find some songs to play and. And like someone will learn something and like try and get everyone in the band to play it during some of the breaks and timeouts and stuff. But I remember specifically listening to that song a lot. That and maybe like Ludacris for some reason. And like I wasn't even, <laughs> but I listened to like a lot of jazz because I played saxophone. So it was always kind of like, I need to balance this out somehow <laughs> because I can't listen to like saxophone all the time. I got to throw in, you know, Luda and, and Nelly. Do you still play sax? I... I lost my personal saxophone. I can't, like, I lost a long time ago, so I haven't really touched a saxophone in a long time. But I still remember how to play it. So if I ever decide to buy another one, then I can probably hit the ground running. Well, it's it's probably best that you can't torture your family with that in quarantine, because I think my husband got very sick of me playing the cello all the time for the first, like, month or so. (laughs) Okay, so another question is, as we've established... JKR is a big turf, but we grew up on Harry Potter, and it looks like your family are fans, too. I saw the cutest photo of your mm-hmm. family in the Weasley sweaters. Um, they were so good. But what do you think your Hogwarts house is, and what would you say Dudley's is? Um, I I personally am Ravenclaw. 
Um, I, I, <laughs> there you go, Ravenclaw's in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Dudley's would likely be Ravenclaw as well. If not, then probably a Hufflepuff because it, it kind of felt like he was trying to keep the peace a little bit, but he mm-hmm. was a little too timid to try and really corral things. Yeah. A Cedric degree. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and our, our sort of last fun question before we get into the episode, do you know your astrological chart, like your sun sign, moon sign, and rising? You know, I like, I looked this up like a month ago for some reason. <laughs> I know, I mean, I'm a Scorpio. Um, it's my sun sign. Um, I forgot what my moon and rising are, but I do know I am a Scorpio. So that is helpful in one sense. <laughs> <laughs> We've, we're just obsessed with charts um, when it comes to characters and, and people. So yeah. we, Danny more than me. I mean, I enjoy it, but uh, Danny is the is definitely the obsessive one on this side. I, I've gotten you into it more. <laughs> I mean, I go, like, I go in phases. I'll, I'll like not think about it for a while. And I was like, I wonder what, like, if I put all my information in, like, wonder what's going on, like, astrologically. And then, you know, I'll go like a week doing that. And I'm like, ah, I forgot to check. <laughs> CoStar makes it so much easier to keep track of now. Is that an app? It is an app. It has snarky horoscopes. So <laughs> highly recommend. All right. Well, yeah, I'll it'll like, that. it'll send you a notification like every day. That's kind of just like, calling rude. you out on something <laughs> yeah it's always rude it's <laughs> a good way to put it it's rude all right so let's get into the episode let's talk about the plot involving fabiola and eleanor first i love really getting to see some of these characters on their own while davy is away yeah. so first fabiola tries to come out to her family and I love how they, like, connected her brother via this, like, video mm-hmm. chat. <laughs> Ultimately, she's unable to come out. But the way that her father, like, reacts to Fabiola and kind of stops her mom from continuing what she's saying kind of made me think that he knew what she was going to say. He had, like, a very understanding look on his face. And he said, we're so glad that you felt comfortable enough to tell us this about, like, AP Latin. <laughs> what do you think about the scene, Claire? Well, first of all, I want to know what her brother thought about her switching to AP Latin. <laughs> I feel like it's an important detail that we didn't learn. <laughs> but I mean, we're, you sort of brought this up earlier, Alex, that like, I feel like her mom takes things so, so, so seriously, even about this fairly minor thing, right? Like switching from one AP class to another and like AP language classes. So who cares? They're like, totally interchangeable as far as like colleges are concerned (laughs) i don't know why i'm going on this rant about ap whatever uh but right like she and we talked about this a little bit in i don't was it the last episode the one where she no two episodes ago where she like goes for the manicure with her mom that like her mom i think just puts a lot of pressure on her period and so i can see why fab's response is going to be to like be really anxious about it and really want to mm-hmm. please her because like how is she going to respond to fab coming out as gay if her response to ap latin switching to ap latin is i'm a bit disappointed we were going to go to france <laughs> yeah do you have any comments about that alex i think it it's interesting because I don't know if it's, if it was that if it was during the manicure when she's talking about you know any boys that she's into or yeah yeah um, but you know like say you you built in some of that tension of like having to kind of crush expectations 
and then like this kind of just compounds it because then when she doesn't again she doesn't it you know come out and then there's still disappointment it's like like you said like this is a negligible like change in the grand scheme of things so it mm-hmm. just adds more attention on to fabiola for trying to like figure out when she's going to have that moment yeah and fabiola is like pretty awkward with her even with her friends afterwards like i feel like she feels uh that she let herself down a little and she seems a little bit lost in her mind and of course on top of it all she sees eve talking in what is perceived to be a flirtatious way to somebody else and i was really feeling for her for sure and then we have eleanor who like the next day has an encounter with paxton um i found this to be like really interesting because it seems in a way that like paxton is trying to make small talk um with davy's friends and i think that kind of just shows that he might have some feelings for her and especially after what happened earlier in the episode, but we'll get into that later. And the conversation between Paxton and Eleanor is obviously kind of intense. Just putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> Paxton seems like really cool to just drop the whole thing and abort, um, but Eleanor like blows up at him. And it is different than Eleanor just being like dramatic. And she's hurt and confused and, and kind of takes it out on him. What do you think, Clara? Well, I mean, he's kind of a dick i mean not oh, yeah. not initially but like his whole like this is longer than i thought i would have to talk to you thing yeah no no <laughs> when you talk to people you have to make space for them yeah i mean eleanor has a lot going on in that moment she has a lot to be it is a big moment for her and a big like what's going on with my life existential crisis but yeah i mean i think i don't know there's also some like funny moments in that scene obviously trent <laughs> Trent is a funny moment in any scene. (laughs) And of course, like, Eleanor calls him racist, uh, which actually reminds me of how Ben called Ellen Fab, like, anti-Semitic just a couple episodes ago. (laughs) And then his his response is just like, I'm part Japanese, which, for the record, you can still be racist, even if you are the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Trent's response is what really kills me, though, like you mentioned, um, when she calls Paxton racist, like, the look on his face is just like, my boy, never... Because, you know, like, he's such a ride or die. And I have this line saved for later in our best line segment, the, 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 way, the way he responds to it. But Trenton is honestly just such a great character. I just want to say for the record, I do do like Paxton. <laughs> I think he's a worthwhile character and he'll probably get a lot more development next season. But there's something about his response to Eleanor that just kind of like really ticks me off, like, I didn't think that we'd have to talk for this long, like you mentioned before, and how he doesn't really care why she's upset. And I get that it's awkward and she totally made a big thing in front of his classmates, but it just rubs me the wrong way. And I feel like this is definitely something Eleanor is going to remember. I'm not sure that Eleanor is going to remember it. Fab is going to hold a grudge. And if Davy were there, she would definitely, like, if Davy hears about it later... That's it. No more Paxton. No more. I doubt that. <laughs> no more Daxton options or whatever. She seems to forgive him pretty easily, so I don't know about that. I do think you're onto something with him even approaching Eleanor to make the comment, because obviously he hasn't been conscious about, oh, this is Eleanor's mom when he was eating dinner the previous night. So I think there is there is that, like you're saying, there's something developing there. Like he has an awareness of not just Davy, but also her her circle and her sphere. So mm-hmm. her even like him even noticing that like oh that's Eleanor's mom and they're having a conversation does create some level of awareness of of what's going on in Davy's circle. Um, 
I will add though, you're, I think you're right about Trent. He's, he's just like a great character. And I, I always think it's amazing when like actors can take like dumb characters and like make them believable because mm-hmm. it's always really hard because you're always thinking like no one's that stupid or like, you know, like the way <laughs> you really have to like own it in a way that makes it authentic. Just like with um, like, you know, Andy on, on Parks and Rec, like you have to find a way to like make it feel like, okay, this person's really dumb, but like, it's not in a way that feels fake. One of our friends referred to the like trope that includes those as pure of heart, dumb of ass. And it was just my favorite <laughs> thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah. It was a, it was after like the, the half of it, right? That yeah, guy's yeah. so dumb. Due to that is definitely pure of heart, dumb of ass. <laughs> He's like a golden retriever, but not quite as smart. <laughs> <laughs> so then after that though like Fabiola comes out to Eleanor um and the way that like it always cracks me up like this is a random fact but and, and you've probably heard this by now but Ramona and Lee have both said that they're lactose intolerant and were actually eating the ice cream in the scene and because of it they were just farting like the entire day it me <laughs> <laughs> They got to get them some like coconut milk ice, milk ice cream or something like that next time. There are enough non-dairy alternatives that you don't need to make actors do that. Also, though, <laughs> usually, though, like don't actors like not usually eat the food? I mean, it depends. If, if it's ice cream, like you really can't help it because, you know, it, it dissolves. <laughs> but a lot of times you will use a stick bucket and you'll take some bites and you'll spit it out when you're done. So you're not having to like eat the entire time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's rough on that. I mean, I'm sure there's some lactate around, I hope. <laughs> there's I know okay. people who are so lactose intolerant that lactate doesn't do a damn thing. Yeah, yeah it doesn't help thing. everyone. And you have to take it beforehand, so yeah. you gotta like plan. But you were talking about how like actors normally don't eat, but one of the wildest stories that I have heard about an actor eating on set. So you still haven't seen Killing Eve, which you have to. You have no more excuses, Danny. Um, <laughs> but Jodie Comer, who plays Villanelle, there's a scene where she like shoves a giant forkful of pasta into her mouth, and she actually choked on set during the scene that they, like the take that they play, and people didn't realize she was choking until after they cut it. so she's fine obviously but like that is one of the most intense like i don't know method kind (laughs) of stories sometimes you just gotta go method that's great is that is that what season is that was that um, i think it's season two okay because i'm on season two so i don't know if i've gotten to that yet but i will be looking out for for sure Uh, well wait till you get season three was so good you're gonna love it i was just talking to a friend about this today it's i love my murder wives (laughs) (laughs) well besides the farting i just think that um the friendship between fabiola and eleanor is just like really pure and sweet and it's probably my favorite platonic really like friendship in the series and they're just so supportive of each other and i love that eleanor was just like don't you dare apologize to me about fabiola like not having told her sooner um, and then Fab is also there for Elle during finding out, like, her mother is actually still around and for her audition where she gets the lead. I was pretty upset that Davy kept ignoring them, but to be fair, in that situation, I probably wouldn't have answered my phone either. But Eleanor absolutely kills her audition, and I'm she so happy for it. her. I'm so happy for her, but I'm so, so sad for her as well. Um, also a fun fact that the actor who plays the drama teacher 
is actually one of the writers on the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Chris. Chris. Yeah, Chris. So, Claire, do you have any more thoughts about uh, Eleanor or Fabiola? Well, I just want to like reiterate, ratify everything that you said about their friendship. <laughs> like, I think it's so great and. I mean, I don't know. Female friendship is magical. Friendship period is magical, but like theirs is a very, a very pure version of that. And especially for high school, that's kind of impressive. Like I'm not entirely sure I believe in their drama free friendship or their like friendship where all the drama is not between them, but is like outside them. But uh, I love it and I want it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great contrast. I think when you think about their relationship with Davey at this point, forward like when you know that their bond is that strong and they get along that well and they're that supportive of each other to see you know what comes after is kind of what makes some of the that tension a little more believable from their perspective yeah absolutely i rarely meet a group of like three friends where everyone's like like just as close to one another like Mm -hmm. it's usually like two people are super super close and they kind of like share another friend I think Davy kind of makes herself that person. So other than them, of course, we have to talk about the Model UN trip, considering that's mostly what this episode is about. But I can't get through this podcast without mentioning that I basically was born and raised in Davis, and I live here currently. So hearing them be really annoyed that they have to go to UC Davis, <laughs> and they like kind of roast Davis made my it just really made my day because Davis is boring as hell like there's like three good restaurants and although we do have some really fine coffee places that I like to frequent Davis is basically like this yuppie white retirement neighborhood for the most part like all of the diversity comes from the fact that it's a college town and you can really feel the lack of diversity right now since like all of the students had to move back home mm-hmm. Also, I'm positive that Mindy included Davis as a joke to dig at Hassan Minhaj because he and her are really good friends. And Hassan was actually born and raised yeah, in Davis yeah. and went to college here as well. He actually did a stand up here. But funny enough, though, my, my oldest brother actually went to high school with him, which is just crazy. But yes, Davis sucks. And I just had to tell everyone that. Also, the picture that they paint of Davis is just so inaccurate. Like, the hotel that they stay at is just, like, way too nice. And there's too many rooms. And I only know this because I worked (laughs) at a hotel in Davis for, like, two years. At one of the nicer hotels in Davis. At one of the nicer hotels, yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, some of the shots of the city, like, looked more like Sacramento. And that's probably what they used. Um, I mean, you know what Davis is like, Clara. You visited well, okay, so I will say, you're the pickiest eater I've ever met, so there are more than three good restaurants in Davis. I haven't been to them because I eat with you when I'm there, but... <laughs> Trust me, other people who are not picky will also tell you the same thing. I Okay, look, she doesn't eat onions or garlic, so <laughs> that part, I feel like there's probably good Italian there somewhere. As the rest of it, though, I mean, yeah, Davis is boring. Like, my parents made me apply to a couple UCs when I was going to college, and I applied to Davis specifically because there was no way I would go there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It smells like cows. It's like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's not that exciting. Um, My tiny-ass town in the Bible Belt where I went to school was, like, more interesting than Davis. (laughs) I've definitely driven through, and I, I... Can't say I would want to even attempt to write a Yelp review for the city. 
<laughs> yeah, well, how many stars would you give it? Um, I, I'd give it an NA because I, I wouldn't <laughs> stop. Like, I don't think we stopped to even, like, get gas. <laughs> yeah, there's really nothing of note in Davis. <laughs> um, so the first thing that actually happens, though, in the episode with the Model UN thing is Eric gets sick, which is not surprising at all, and can't make it. And Ben just, like, straight up yells at Mr. Shapiro and then cusses at him. And I'm just like, Mr. Shapiro just takes it. And I'm like, what? He's not a regular history teacher. He's a cool history teacher. <laughs> um, but then Davy, of course, decides that she's going to go because she doesn't want to do chores that are awful that her mom has tasked her with doing, like, cutting some old lady's toenails. Gross. But then on the bus, they show Davy and Ben's, like, academic packed list which is just hilarious um, that that they actually did that. But it's not surprising. Also, I've seen people take it like really, really seriously and are like, I don't like Ben because he's in Young Republicans, even though it literally said that they split everything like 50-50. And I was like, maybe Davey just put Young Democrats first. Called dibs. (laughs) To assume that he's Republican uh, because of that, it, it just seems a bit harsh. But from... From what he's pitching in Model UN, actually, it makes me think that he's not Republican. But who knows? It's also said that he does acapella. Um, so now I feel like I want to see that. And I'm also really curious if Jaren actually spoke Japanese, I mean, not Japanese, Chinese in the scenes that he spoke Chinese. Alex, did you get to be there for filming the entire episode or was it just your parts? Uh, just just my my um, parts in the, the Security Council. Okay. Yeah, but you know, I get obviously. I, I you know, I met all of the, some of the actors who were in all of the Model UN stuff. Yeah, um, which was cool to see them in the other scenes, and get some context. Yeah, was it shot? It was shot in LA, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you didn't actually go to Davis. You didn't get to see. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't take the five star trip to <laughs> Davis, the, California. Like, six hour drive to Davis, California. <laughs> that smells like cow shit the entire way. <laughs> yeah. Ben's family is rich and he is really into status. So I could buy him in a version of Young Republicans, not a like Trump Republican. I feel like, if anything, he's fiscally conservative, but probably... He might be a Zionist. We'll have to, like, hash that out sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. But (laughs) then at the the actual, like, the Model UN conference, Davy's ability to fuck with Ben is, like, truly a work of art. Like, she really knows exactly how to push his buttons, and it's great. Um, Like, when she yields to the chair, which I have zero idea what that actually means, but... Like, because I wasn't really a nerd, that that kind of a nerd in high school. I was a nerd, just not that kind of a nerd. I don't even know if our school had a Model UN program. <laughs> we definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, everyone was, like, shooketh when that happened. Well, as the, as the you know, the, the chair, I had to make sure, you know, the chair in Model UN knows all the rules, right? So yeah. I felt like I needed to take it upon myself to, like, know all of the rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, just so that way I felt like if anything else came up, I had a frame of reference to, to say something. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while, but as far as I know, if so, someone can, is going to fact check me after this and be like, you're wrong. <laughs> but typically you would just yield back to the United States um, in that scenario because it's, it's their time. Mm-hmm. So you might, you know, take, you might try, try and raise your pocket to get time into 
make, make your statement or whatever, and then you mm-hmm. would just give your time back to the United States. So my interpretation of why that was so rough, and again, you'll have to you'll have to check me, you guys, <laughs> is that because she basically circumvented the the standard, what you're supposed to do, the norms, um, by yielding back to me, it kind of says like, well, I don't even really respect you enough to to yield my time back to you. And at that <laughs> that's point, that's pretty bad. <laughs> Are there any like super weird rules in the Model UN rulebook that we should know about? Um, I don't know if there's any super weird rules. Again, it's been a while since I've read them, so I, I'm not I'm not up to date. I'm no Kofi Annan at this point. <laughs> but no, I don't know. Well, Danny, to your point about like Debbie being able to fuck with him, right? Like that's that's how the enemies to lovers trope can work, right? Like because the whole it's predicated on this idea that like you have been paying so much attention to people your entire life or the entire length of your like eminity. I mean, this is what I said about like one of the things that I say about like podcasting and media in general, right? Like you can't pay that much attention to something to be like diving deep into it week after week after week or day after day after day in their case, cause they're in school together and not come out with a greater appreciation for it. So her ability to fuck with him is also a symbol of her ability to just fuck him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Too far. <laughs> Too far. I just, it was the wordplay. I couldn't, I was like, I was going to be like to love him, but then I was like, mm, no, I got to get the wordplay in. <laughs> Always my downfall. <laughs> so the whole party subplot is, it's really funny. And I, I can, I just want to point out another hotel fact. All of the alcohol being Hotel in facts one. With Danny Lowry. <laughs> all the alcohol just being in one storage closet because that's close to their rooms. I was like, what? They kept it in a basement under lock and key, and only managers could get it um, at the hotel I worked at. And I also hope that everybody is super aware of just how many fan fictions this single, very short supply closet scene is birthed. <laughs> Like a lot. <laughs> You're gonna read one on the air sometime. Oh no. <laughs> Maybe. I'm going to skip over the little hotel room party for a minute, but we'll get back to it. But I could not stop laughing at the juxtaposition of Davy getting angry after the text from Paxton, and then she's just like giving an evil stare, and then it just cuts to Ben's face, who is really excited and happy to have Davy as an ally. And then of course. Viva World War Three, <laughs> and she crushes his soul. Decorum, guys. How many times did you have to say decorum that day? Oh man, I said it a lot. I said it for <laughs> everyone's coverage. I said it in my sleep. Then I left. But th- that that scene was really funny because like there's so much chaos. And my tray when she was doing when she was nuking Belgium, you know. <laughs> Like, you know, it's a piece of paper, like, you know, sometimes the wind carries it. A couple of times, like, it was just, like, just, just didn't land. But we, that one that, that ended up being used um, in the episode was just, like, bang on. Like, it hit uh, Rachel Zimmerman, who plays Belgium, right in the face. And we, I remember we all were kind of, like, once they cut, we were, like, everyone was, like, wow, that was a great throw. <laughs> like, we were all super impressed that it like nailed her and we like felt bad for Rachel, but it was like, she, she nailed you. She got you. You got nuked. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It was such a good scene. It's just, it's so much fun to watch. <laughs> 
yeah, like all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Um. So this is probably my last comment about Davis, but John McEnroe says <laughs> this what happens in Davis doesn't stay in Davis, especially juicy rumors. Let me tell you right now, nothing happens in Davis that is worthy enough to be considered juicy ever. But before we move on to the Benby and Daxon of it all, because obviously we do, um, <laughs> where does your allegiances lie, Alex? Do you have an opinion on either ship? <sighs> well... <laughs> In the interest of self-preservation, I feel Ooh. like I'm I'm unable to weigh in as an impartial arbiter of the model UN. <laughs> so if I had a gavel, I would bang it right now and we would move on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben V is the next topic. Um, <laughs> would I would I really like it wouldn't be my half of the podcast if I didn't talk about Ben V. Um mm-hmm. I'm building a timeline to prove all of the haters wrong, but like Clara has said that I'm, I'm like the image of Charlie day from it's always sunny with all the red strings around him. Like I'm aware at this point (laughs) that that's who I am. But first of all, Ben and Davey have a ridiculous amount of comfort for two people who are mortal enemies. He's so close to her face on the bus when he's bantering with her and she just doesn't even care in the slightest. And Also, like, literally the second that Davey walks into the Model UN conference, he immediately notices and makes a beeline for her. Like, sure, it's to talk shit, but still. Well, this is what I was saying, right? Like, you can't pay that close attention to somebody and not develop some feelings of intimacy. I'm saying it the right way this time. Okay. (laughs) With all decorum. (laughs) And then Ben, like, literally brings up Paxton, like, the second that he has a chance to with, like, a sneer. And I don't know, man, it just feels like jealousy. Like, these two are absolute children, like, with each other, like, most of the time. But I'm telling you, pause it and pay very close attention when the Model (laughs) UN group is toasting to Ben and Davey in the hotel room. They look at each other with these, like, meek and, like, genuine smiles. Like, I don't think Davey is having feelings for Ben yet, but for Ben, like, they're there. She sends me pictures of Ben looking at Davey like three or four times a week to be like, look at me. No, I know that that one wasn't. I know that one wasn't, (laughs) but you still do. I'm always like, believe so me. It's like, Danny, it's 4 a.m. Okay, I need to go to sleep. You know, I bet she has sent one at 4 a.m. She's up late. <laughs> I probably have. I don't think that Davey has feelings for Ben yet, but for Ben, like, they're there. And it takes seemingly all of his courage to go and sit down next to her and start a conversation. And he says, it turns out that we're a pretty good team for two people who hate each other. And he's basically like, baiting her into saying I don't hate you which she does and then after they decide on an allyship he brings up Paxton again like really bro he won't admit (laughs) it to himself but he is 100% into her and he's also clearly upset when Mr. Shapiro breaks up the party and then Davey it says went to bed happy that night the language there so that's my rant for about Ben V for this episode (laughs) but I had to point out I will thing. say, Shira, okay, so you have you ever had one of those friends who, like, you see them constantly, you're talking to them constantly, they're always talking about their partner, but you never meet them, like, you never, they just don't seem to exist? hmm That's Shira. But so, she does exist. She, she does, really but, like, I think that's, it. right, like, I think she's, like, I, I agree with you that, sh- that Shira is not, like, a serious 
girlfriend, somebody who Ben loves. She is a placeholder. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think they pretty much admit that. <laughs> um, do you have any opinions on Ben B now? <laughs> um, you know, I think I think their relationship is one of those ones that, like Claire was saying, because you're around them so much, you kind of have you build an affinity for them. But I think it's also deeper because of like when it's competitive, like it's always much more intense because there is like a certain degree of respect involved with that. Yeah. And you know, like you can be bested. And I like I when when Ben has his interaction with Davey, like she she pretty much does eat his lunch that first session because he kind of just gets thrown off guard. And he's like, oh, she can come in here and like not know what she's talking about and still kind of like take control of everything. Yeah. And I think there's a level of that where Ben realizes like, you know, like we are a good team, but also like it's be- probably because like you are my equal, if not mm-hmm. better. Yeah. And so I, I, I do think that relationship makes it, fun to watch it develop because you know that like there's still some tension there but like that admiration starting to peak out and then you can kind of like enjoy those moments where you see Ben like kind of backing off the kind of harsh behavior that he's normally exhibits around her mm-hmm. yeah and then seeing the same thing with with Davey yeah like they're finally I think like starting to see each other as more like human and not adversaries yeah yeah they have a moment of vulnerability Mm-hmm. So moving on from them, we have to talk about Daxon. There isn't much in this. There isn't much in this episode. I was actually really surprised when he invited Davy to hang out with like his friends in the lounge. Like I can't tell if he's trying to like make her one of the boys or if he does like her. Um, especially since he's also tries to make small talk, like I I said earlier with her friends. They don't interact again though until she gets back to school. Even though she tried multiple times to make contact with him. Paxton is really genuinely hurt here, and I thought, like, when he said, I thought we were friends, but you were just using me, and I really honestly, like, love the gender flip of the situation here, um, because, like, typically as the trope, it's usually the men lying about women, so um, it's nice to see that it can be just as shitty um, when a woman does that to a man, and so also Davy is way too defensive here, and she's always so quick to try and defend herself. And she definitely seems to rarely think before speaking. (laughs) And I also feel like there's more to Paxton's reaction here. Um, I'm not sure what, but, like, maybe it's not the first time this has happened to him. Well, I think, right, like, it is pretty clear from the reactions of the other other girls on the Model UN team that, like, most of the girls, or at least a lot of the girls in school, see him as, like, a status symbol or, or, you know, just a hot body and that's basically it. And I imagine, right, like, that must feel pretty awful, right? Like, I mean, that's that's also the whole thing, right? Like, the reason you don't want to be objectified as a woman is because you don't want to be objectified. You want to be treated like a whole person and seen as a whole person and, like, get to have a life and um, interests and not just be somebody who people, like are attracted to or who are attracted to the idea of, right? Like it's hard to have a relationship if you with somebody who doesn't see you as a real person. Yeah. And it's really cool. Cause it also speaks to kind of like turning tropes on its head, like how, you know, the show you points out how romantic comedies are really creepy in some aspects. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's similar in that it's pointing out like how wrong it is to hold a guy up to that standard 
um, like people do in romantic comedies. Yeah, I think it's also interesting the the way their relationship changes from even like the beginning of the of the of the series where mm. like I remember watching the first episode and like when 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 Davies says she wants to have sex with him and he kind of just like okay like he's like did that is that a dream sequence like what just happened like this doesn't normally happen in these kinds of things and then to see them kind of like her you know basically say like I was I don't you know I'm I don't know what I'm doing I'm just kind of just like being a girl like you know, a girl or whatever I'm just like wanted to be with you and him kind of just like being cool with it and like okay and then seeing him sort of like take that realization of like well she is into me but like she's not into me to the point where she just like actually is like ready to like do stuff and use me physically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to watch like him kind of it feels like he's like softening up like trying to ingratiate her into his his friend group like we said you know talking to Eleanor's mom and like just sort of like getting into the idea of like could this work can this work I feel like maybe I can develop something and then to kind of get that shattered a little bit and like, oh, maybe she is just like all the other girls, even though it seemed like she was much different. Yeah, that's a really good point. Do you have anything else to say about Daxton, Clara? I feel like I said what I had to say, but it's, and that's a really good note to end on. I think you have a, a very insightful analysis, Alex. Yeah. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so the other two things of note in this episode, um, is it's like the kind of like the start of like the first rift with uh Davy and her friends like <sighs> Davy I was actually surprised that they forgave her so fast after this um and then after that Nalini like forgives Davy and ungrounds her um she doesn't press Davy for why she seems down but it looks like she wants to um what do you think of these two turning points I'm not super surprised that her friends forgave her because I feel like that's kind of the nature of like high school friendships, right? Like there is just a lot of hurting people and forgiving them and hurting people and forgiving them because you're, you know, a teenager and you don't know how to act like a human. (laughs) You're not like fully baked. (laughs) Plus, I mean, they clearly have such a long history, right? Yeah. As for Nalini, that was a little bit more surprising to me, just because we haven't really seen her respond with that kind of softness to Davy before. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, at, we're, we're getting into the territory, like, in the next few episodes where we will start to see more of um, what what Nalini and, uh, and Davy's relationship was like before Mohan died. So I feel like this is kind of setting us up for that. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Do you have any thoughts about the end of the episode? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, you're right as far as the way Eleanor and Fabiola forgive. Like, I think, you, like, you're right. You get a lot of first, like, first strikes. Like, yeah. when you're in high school, it's just like, okay, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Um, and also, you know, I always think about how the structure of a show is working. It's like, well, it's the middle of the season. So like, they're not going to have a huge blowout this early. And sometimes you hate to do that because then you kind of like start taking yourself out of what they're, the, you know, they're trying to create and craft for their story. But, you know, you do sometimes think about it. It's like, well, they're not going to have like a big blowout right now. So like, it seems reasonable, but you do start to plant the seed of like, okay, well, this is, this Mm -hmm. is the first strike. And like, these are, now they're going to start counting. Like it's no longer just like practice. So 
it feels like yeah that's like the first strike for them in their their relationship i do i do think it was also surprising that Nalini, for us to like again so like start sowing some of those seeds of like how you're going to contrast her the way she accepts right. certain things as opposed to other things so it's it's always fun for me to watch um just how they develop characters and storylines and plot lines in that way because you know that there's going to be ways they challenge what they've established yeah well before we say goodbye and get into fashion if you could steal anyone's wardrobe on the show who would it be yeah if i could steal anyone's wardrobe um i actually i am in, i'm in, in need of a suit like a, like a nice good suit so i was i was actually really happy to like be able to wear a couple suits because salvador is like obviously he's just like an amazing wardrobe costume designer um i watched his stuff when he was we we had i just finished watching um four weddings and the funeral when i got the audition such a good show um so i was like i was or i was in the middle of watching because i don't think it was it was over yet but i was like oh my gosh like everyone looks so nice on this show so i was like he's gonna throw some suits on me like i'm gonna look like it's like the aladdin and the genie he's <laughs> like doing the, the ruler the tape measure and all that stuff so I would honestly take my my wardrobe, but if not, I mean, I probably have to go with with Paxton. He's got some nice fits. They are really good suits. Like they're they're very fitted and very dapper, and definitely not things that high school or college students would be able to afford. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, all right. So so lastly, and then we'll let you go. Is there anything else that is going on in your sort of career, your life, that you want to plug before you head out? Um, well, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy because all the COVID stuff, so there's not a whole lot of filming going on, but I was fairly lucky to have done a handful of things before we all got locked down. Probably the most notable um, for me is uh, I'm in a film, a horror film on HBO Max called Snatchers. It's super, super funny. Um, it's, you know, uh, two, two friends, two female friends. Um, one gets pregnant overnight by, with an alien. Oh, it's yeah, it's 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 out there, but it's it's such a fun ride and I get to have um, some fun on there. And um, I would encourage anyone who is thinking about getting HBO Max. That's that's up there. So you can definitely check it out. But I'm I'm kind of all over TV here and there. So you can look me up on my IMDb or you look up my my Instagram. I post stuff about what I'm up to. So, well, thank you so much for coming to join us to talk about this show. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I think this is actually my first podcast, oh, like official yay. podcast appearance. So <laughs> well, I, I guess I should send you guys a certificate <laughs> for having me. Well, we'll we're really it. glad that you actually watched the show because so many people like are like, oh, I didn't actually watch it. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, I'm a fan. Me and my family and my friends are, are fans of the show. So well, that's awesome. Well, we will let you go now. But thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for being here. Yeah, thank right. you. Bye. Thank you. All right, just us now. Yep. So let's get into fashion. Let's do it. One of the things I loved was uh, Davy's pink shirt um, at the beginning of it. Like she was wearing her hair in like a ponytail, which she really does. And I actually like it a lot in the ponytail. Um, but she had some really ugly shorts with it. But it's okay. I also love Davy's outfit at the table um, when she's talking to Fab and Elle. I can't remember off the top of my head what it actually looks like, but I know it's I like it. It's the black t-shirt that has like bright red or pink 
uh, sort of it's like a ringer t-shirt that has like okay yeah yeah, yeah. the yeah. ringer tee yeah and like the scene where Mr. Shapiro and Ben are like arguing he's wearing like this like art student get up like it's like just like a black tee like not tee like long sleeve like and he's always wearing these like outfits that look extremely oh hot <laughs> not attractive hot but like yeah hot. yeah no mr shapiro's wardrobe does a lot of work in establishing his character <laughs> <laughs> like i i said like he's like he's just like that pseudo intellectual like that's yep. the way he he dresses <laughs> um and then there's like I don't know if there's like naked ladies on Ben's shirt. Like it kind of looked like it. I couldn't really tell. Not. I'm not saying that that's like a an outfit I liked, but that was interesting. Davy's model UN outfits, both of them. I really like them. They look really good on her. Like she looks really nice when she's like all put together and professional looking. One of the comments you had here is that her skirt is really short. I'm really curious how she gets that Pasolini. Like that is not a cheap outfit. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, if she, like, will leave the house wearing, like, leggings underneath. But, like, how does she and, even get that, like, get Nalini to buy that for her? Well, the other one, she made it into a shorter skirt. Okay, right. This one, I'm not sure because she decided last minute to join this trip, so maybe <laughs> she bought something when she got there. Mm. In Davis. <laughs> in davis there's nowhere to shop in davis except for target <laughs> i think ben also looks really handsome in his model un outfit dudley alex skinner's character has a really nice outfit on as well the first day actually like i think both of them are pretty nice but the first one he's wearing like a dark teal plaid button-up yeah with his suit and like a dark red and navy tie and i, I really liked it yeah his his suits are fire mm-hmm um and then i love fabiola's coral pink shirt that she wears like it just like looks really good on her like she never wears anything that's like too crazy but yeah did you see by the way okay so nobody who's actually listening to this can see but i wore overalls in honor of fabiola in that in was it episode three two or three <laughs> yeah i think it was three <laughs> two i think it's two actually i don't own a pair of overalls i like, just got I two pairs of short alls because summer I thought about buying short alls. I saw like some really cute ones, but I just feel like since I'm so short, they just, just like won't fit me well. <laughs> I guess I'll have to see. Um, I love Eleanor and Fabiola's like little pajamas. They're so cute. And then Eleanor's audition outfit is really cute. She has like a long skirt. Mm. Yeah. This like red long sleeve turtleneck and a red headband with a print. I actually think that's my favorite other than maybe Dudley's suit, because I think his suits are really great. I think that maybe is my favorite outfit in the entire episode. Yeah. I like also Paxton's shirt and Davy's sweater and their scene together at the end. Um, but I think actually my favorite outfit is Nalini's outfit at the end of the episode mm. when she's talking to Davy. It's not something I would wear. It's just like, but it's like really flowy and nice. Like she's wearing um kind of like jumpsuit like pants. Mm. I don't know what those are called. Are they like wide leg pants? wide leg pants and like a really long flowy shirt that she's tucked into it um it just like really looks nice on her other than that i would i really like davy's like model un outfit the first one mm. that she wears all right one-liners one-liners so my first one written down is fab what's wrong you usually house a bag of doritos in like 20 seconds 
Okay, so one of my favorite ones was Fab's response to this. Now it is time for Flavor City. <laughs> yes, I, I thought of freaking Flavor Town like Guy Fieri when I heard that. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Guy Fieri and Fabiola should not be associated. <laughs> no. And then I like, what's the point of spending the night in Davis if I'm not winning the best delegate gavel? <laughs> Ben, which is just like obvious, like no one wants to spend the night in Davis. And then, of course, Trent, as I mentioned earlier, I'm sorry I didn't realize you were Asian, bro. I'll try and be more observant in the future. Pure of heart, <laughs> dumb of ass. <laughs> this is just like really what I think makes him like, makes me think he's smart and not just like aware. Like, he's just not aware of his surroundings sometimes. He is high all the time. But, like, the language that he uses there, though, like, I'll try to be more observant in the future. Um, He has these moments of complete, like, emotional intelligence. Um, And I think that's why, like, in my mind, he's like a cancer moon to his... Cries into his bong late at night. (laughs) (laughs) Cries into his bong. He does have, like, some moments, so obviously we'll bring it up later when they come through. But that one really struck me he like really is like good friends with paxton like he really cares about him obviously all more. right more one-liners <laughs> getting off track <laughs> <laughs> the next one that i have is ben saying bad morning enemy <laughs> what um i had a lot more from ben like in that section but Claire yeah, made I made you cut, you cut it down because you had like 30. <laughs> I did not have 30. I counted it. It was 15. Um, so half of that. The next one is you're buffering Eleanor from Fabiola. Like his Eleanor is just like staring off and it looks like she's like has this complete look of like existential dread. Well, and of course, Fabiola would describe her best friend in robot terms. <laughs> robot terms. Yeah, true. <laughs> And then when Russia, who doesn't have an actual name other than Russia, is, I'd like to lead a joint initiative to get turned. <laughs> I actually, I didn't see that you had that, and I wrote it down, too. It is, I, that might be the best, the best line in the entire episode. It was really good. And the delivery was just so perfect. Yeah, it was. Another one that I put in here, just purely for deliveries from Ben, and he's like, my dad let me have a sip of Cristal at New Year's. Like, oh, I, I just this kid. <laughs> and then Eleanor, and she says, finally, a gay friend. It really fits my brand as a theater wench. <laughs> amazing. Mm. That's amazing. And then Beth, one of the model UN characters, is like, this is what wine tastes like? But same, because I really don't like wine. You only I, like, like alcohol if it's 90% sugar. This is true. I do like sparkling wine usually, but they do usually tend to be on the more sweet side. <laughs> and then there's, I don't hate you. I just think you're pretentious and unlikable <laughs> from Davey. <laughs> and then Ben, uh, in the same conversation, says, I only became good at Mandarin to spite you. <laughs> and then my last one is, Russia, you're a narc, but if you give me your nukes, I'll let you have my email address. See, I'm telling you, they deserve each other. (laughs) He's like, I thought I had it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I I only really have two more, and one of them is 
not it's not one line but um fab's mom did that alex gomez get you pregnant it's always the short ones <laughs> i just love the like whispered <laughs> it's always the short ones yeah and then the scene when they're on the bus and ben says who are we and the team goes sherman oaks high and what are we doing model un and then davy walks on and he's like what are you doing here and they all say model un <laughs> they're not wrong <sighs> Ben, a cheerleader for his own team. <laughs> um, so we are at MVP time. This was like really rough for me. I mm. I was split between like all three girls, um, mostly Ramona and Maitre. They're both so good in this episode. In the end, I choose Ramona though because she shows a lot of range in this episode and you get to see a lot more of Eleanor in general and how deeply hurt she is. And I feel like you can see how much of her cheery self is kind of like a mask. Um, It reminds me of Elliot in The Magicians when he says that his persona was his greatest project because he's Mm -hmm. also very dramatic. I think that's a good one. I I was sort of split. I my honestly probably like real talk would give it to my in this episode because I think she is really fantastic but you also know that I like to give to guest uh to guest stars just because I feel like we don't get many opportunities to call them out so I think I'm gonna give mine this week to Atticus because <laughs> I love oh, Atticus. He's so he's good so as good. Russia <laughs> he is so good I, I I mean like I've watched a lot of things with him the middle he's so funny on that that was yeah that was a long time ago I don't think I ever finished that show but I just thought he was so, so funny in this episode. And like, in, I feel like he has, there's, it's really kind of hard to play a character that's that insincere and sell it and make it fun. But he did a great job. So he I'm really going to give did. my dad. There was a couple of lines that I had in there, like disregarding him when, like when Davey's like, this is why everybody at your school hates you. You know what I should do to really make you hate me? What? I should give my MVP to Davis. No. (laughs) Davis does not deserve it. Okay, so I'm going to kind of lead our final topic for this week. Because as we were talking about what we should do, I really think that the big sort of meat of this episode in terms of like what's important for us to have a deep conversation about is coming out. Cause that's what happens in like Fab's story of coming out is such a, I mean, obviously it's not like fully universal, but for queer people, it's a universal thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's a part of the show, but it's not like everything. And we get to see a bunch of different coming outs from her over the course of the season. And sort of in this episode, even though one of them is like a failure. Yeah. I think this episode does a really good job of showing both how you can make really good space for someone to come out and like how to affirm them when they do come out to you, but also some of the pitfalls like we talked about with um, Fabiola's parents. Cause like Eleanor does a really good job of being there for Fabiola. And you've mentioned some of these things already, like the way that the way that she tells her to stop apologizing for um, Which is not something I feel like sooner. a queer people get told a lot, like, stop apologizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably true. Um, so I think, like, I, I think it was really good because she also, I think, in that moment really understood what you were saying, that, like, Fabiola does feel like she let herself down. And so even though she's not 
directly addressing that in terms of like what Fabiola's conversation with her parents and how that went. I feel like she still makes space and acknowledges those feelings and the, and the complication of them. Um, and then, yeah, like going to her parents, we really do see like how much pressure her mom puts on her in all of these different ways and why having that experience of having this conversation about something that is relatively a non-issue, like switching to AP Latin, how like that is going to reinforce for Fab how difficult this is going to be and make her even more worried about disappointing her with something mm-hmm. <laughs> as big as her sexuality. So yeah, what did you think, Danny? Of like her coming out? Well, to yeah, like Eleanor? is there anything you want to say about coming out in general? I mean, we're both we're both queer. We're all queer here. I'm queer, you're queer. Well, the thing I love about coming out is sometimes it can be really difficult for you to come out to certain people. Um, but there's something about like coming out to other queer people that is really lovely. Mm. Like it's almost like this like instantaneous form of family, you know? Yeah. Like you just have this instant community, which is really nice because so many people don't have great coming out experiences. Their parents aren't accepting. Their parents aren't going to come around. And sometimes even friends aren't happy about it. But, like, I really do love the way Eleanor handles it. And she makes the proper space for her friend to feel safe and to come out to her. I mean, all of her friends are pretty good at it, like, later on, too. So, yeah, maybe we should talk about that. Like, what makes what makes a good reaction? Because, I, I mean, while our audience, I think, probably skews a little younger... When you're young, you don't necessarily know how to respond to somebody who comes out to you. And, like, if there are any parents listening, like, it's it, it can be a hard thing to navigate. So, like, what for you, if you come out to somebody, like, what are you looking for from them? I mean, I was really similar to Fabiola, which I think I said in another episode. Like, I just kept not... It wasn't something I felt comfortable saying to my mom because she would just always say, like, just, like, little things that just made me not want to tell her that and like it's not even just that but like a lot of things like there's a lot of things that I just didn't talk to my mom about for me like it's hard for me to completely speak to it because I am very lucky because like the side of my family that wouldn't be okay with it I don't know them Hmm. and then all of my family like all of my immediate family the family that like matters to me have all been very like accepting and welcoming and it's been really nice. I've had issues in, in other aspects. Like, say, having a girlfriend that's family was not accepting. Yeah. Like, I've had more issues in, in those kinds of avenues. I feel like growing up, like, through high school, I mostly had pretty good experience. I mean, I, there were straight people who, like, harassed not I mean, not me specifically, necessarily even, but, like, who just, like, in general used gay as an insult and like, you know, all that kind of bullshit. Um, Unfortunately still happens. Right. Like, I mean, I think I talked, I think I also talked about like how my coming out to my parents was sort of accidental, but also they were both chill about it. Um, 
which I expected them to be. But like when I went off to college, I was in Virginia in the Bible Belt. And while most like my school in general is pretty liberal, there definitely were some more religious people there. And even like people who I just didn't expect to have issues with it at all. Like I had some really close girlfriends who definitely like got over themselves pretty quickly. But like when they... I I had a girlfriend who, like, me and another friend would, like, I don't think we ever actually did anything, but we'd just be, like, flirty and touchy just for fun, because why not? Um, (laughs) We were both cool with it. And we had another friend who got, like, really uncomfortable with that sometimes. Mm. So I think, like... I've had friends like that, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and one of those friends, like, said at one point, like, why can't you just, like sort of like keep it to yourselves <laughs> and I I just sort of remember telling her that was bullshit um but in terms of like how to come out or like how to respond to somebody when they're coming out or how to make space I think the how to make space is really a lot about just like really like making it clear I mean it's to some extent I think like you make space for somebody by showing that your that like you care about queer issues before they come out like that's definitely the best way to make space for somebody is to be clear that like you are an ally and you care and you believe that queer issues are important and that queer people are you know have their full humanity beyond that like if it's not something big in your life I think the biggest thing is just that like taking of the pressure off. So when you're having a conversation, when someone is having, trying to have a serious conversation with you, whatever it is, a lot of it has to be about just like sitting back and listening and like saying it's okay before they come out with whatever it is that they are going to come out with. Like just reminding Mm -hmm. people that it's okay and that you love them and that you care about them. And then when they say whatever they say, don't I, like I, I feel like a lot of it for me has been and not everyone feels this way right like this is not <laughs> me saying this is everyone's experience but for me I kind of want people not to make a big deal out of it right like just to be like okay cool <laughs> and I think yeah Eleanor does a really good job of that in this episode right like she does there's um the the love Simon sequel love Victor the show hmm. there's a moment I think I want to say it's in like the last or second to last episode, he comes out to his best friend and his best friend basically just hugs him. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you felt like you could tell me that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really like a beautiful scene because it's, I mean, that's all people really want. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, they just want to be acknowledged and, and know that like, you know, it's safe with you. Um, and I think like that's a big thing in general. I mean, if you're if you're in a friendship, you should you should have that with someone. You should have yeah. that like I can tell you anything. Like I don't think I could be like really good friends with anyone that I just like wouldn't feel comfortable saying those things. But yeah. I mean, it's a huge it's a long process. Coming out can be like a really long oh process my God, for people. So protracted. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, I mean, there's always the experiences of people also growing up in, like, very, like, religious households. Like, for them, it's, like, they try to repress it or they um, don't believe it. Like, like, oh, I'll get over it. Like, there's so many different, like, versions of it that 
it's hard to kind of like break it down. Like it's never going to be the same for any two people. And I mean, there's some really good resources out there too. Like the Trevor project has really good like pamphlets and like, and articles about like, if you are considering coming out, um, we'll link some from the episode description. Yeah. Um, it's a hard thing to do. And like, there's no, there's nothing wrong with not coming out either. Yeah. If you're not comfortable, don't do it. Yeah. I think that's really important, right? Like Fabiola feels like she let herself down, but, or maybe let other people down, but you're not letting anyone down if it takes time. Right. That's totally normal. And I feel like that's actually a really important thing to say when we're talking about media, because in a lot of media, you you f- have people who are in relationships with someone who isn't out yet. And because of the sort of compression of narratives, when you have that situation, so often you have somebody like one person putting pressure on another person to come out. And while yeah. that does happen to an extent, I think it's really important to know that like it is totally OK for you to come out on your t- own timeline, whatever, like whatever that is. And if a partner can't handle it, uh, that is not a reason for you to come out faster. No. And I I mean, and you're going to run into that. Unfortunately, like you're going to find someone that you might want to date or be with that will not, they don't want to date someone who's not out because maybe it was really hard for them. And it can be very triggering for people. Like I, I like going back into the closet as people like to say, like they don't, they don't want to experience that. And like, that's fine as well. But as long yeah. as, as long as you don't feel pressure and that person doesn't pressure you. Yeah. I think like, the way I to put like it is okay. like people, relationships are always emotional, obviously. And like relationships that involve that dimension of like one person being out and the other person not get more emotional around that because of all the reasons that you just mentioned, Danny. But like, I think the best way to see it, if you're in a situation like that is just as different needs different needs, mm-hmm. different boundaries. And doesn't mean if, you know, if someone else is out and they're not comfortable with the fact that you're not out, okay, they have different needs than you and maybe you can't meet those right now, but it does not mean you're wrong. Exactly. Um, so we'll probably, I think we'll probably stop there, but I just, I do want to say, we'll put some resources on the episode description on the Fireside website. Um, but also if you are going through this and you need someone to talk to, Feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to listen. Exactly. And with that, I think we've come to the end of our show. We thank Alex Skinner for joining us earlier, and it was great to have him. Listeners, thank you for joining us. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe online wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at N-H-I-E underscore podcast. Bye. Never Have I Ever Hosted a Podcast is produced and hosted by Danny Lowry with co-host Clara Shirley Appel. Saxon Ahern is our sound engineer and Lanier Sammons wrote our theme. Mind slut. I'm sure there's some lactate around, I hope.